I'll start by saying this. Something's gone terribly wrong. How many of you look at the world in the global cosmic scheme of things and are just constantly frustrated or despairing or discouraged or bewildered or perplexed that things are not the way they should be? On the more micro level, you look at your own life and the people you know and the people you love. You see suffering, you see injustice, you see evil, you see death and sickness and mourning and loss and pain. And what I find curious is that Christian or non-Christian alike, people simply cannot accept that, that the way the world is is the way the world should be. Something has gone terribly wrong. And it's not that there hasn't been sincere efforts to fix things. We fought wars to kill the bad guys, except no one can agree on who the bad guys are. But we fought wars and lots. Much money has been spent. I mean, governments exist in large part to try and improve the lives of their citizens, at least in theory. Education has been promoted with the understanding that maybe if we just learn more, we'll do better. Some have said, well, just give it time and we will evolve. All of that's been tried. Maybe if we just throw more money at the problem, more social services, more governmental and nonprofit agencies trying to do more good to help more people, maybe that, maybe that will make a difference and make the world a better place and improve the quality of life for its citizens. But nothing seems to help. We make attempts at medical discoveries. Maybe if we prescribe more pills and diagnose more problems and improve overall health, to no avail. It seems like every effort has been made and nothing has improved the quality of life of people on the earth. There are still huge, huge problems. And as a pastor, I would tell you that this is the most agonizing and painful part of the job. As pastors, one of the primary things we do is we deal with sin. We have a front row seat to sin and carnage and its effects. We deal with people who are in sin, some repentant, some not so repentant. We deal with the victims of sin and and we deal with the consequences of sin. And sometimes we deal with all those together and sometimes in so doing, while we end up sinning and we contribute to the problem and we're supposed to be helping. The result is for me, if I'm totally honest with you, some really dark moments of sadness and grief and despair. Not hopelessness, but a deep painful awareness that something has gone terribly wrong and that the way the world is is not the way the world is supposed to be. And the way people treat each other is not the way they're supposed to treat each other. There are some who like to live very isolated lives and disconnect from all the news and keep their eyes closed to all the hurt and pain because they just don't want to see it and they they just don't want to have to deal with it. But as a pastor, there, there is no choice. You have to live in the reality of sin and its effects with people constantly. And sometimes it's devastating. Pastor, I was abused. I was raped, I was molested, my dad beat me, my husband walked out on me, my spouse cheated on me, my dad's an alcoholic, 
Someone said they loved me. They slept with me, and then they dumped me. My spouse said they were faithful, and they weren't. I just suffered my third miscarriage. Why? Why do my babies keep dying in my womb? Why can't I get pregnant? How come my spouse had to die so young? Why can't I find a job? Why can't I find a spouse? Why did I get cancer? I can still remember one of the most devastating early pastoral moments I had. A guy called, said, I need you to come to the hospital right away. We're in Calgary visiting some relatives. My wife sat up in bed, complained of a headache, screamed and then fell back into bed. And I couldn't wake her. I tried and I tried. I called an ambulance and took her to the hospital. It doesn't look good. What do I do? I can't live without her. I hopped in my 1987 Dodge Cold Turbo and took the back highways to Calgary, two and a half hour drive away. I met the young man. His face is ever etched into my memory, the saddest face. He said, why did my wife have to die? She was 28 years old. She had a brain aneurysm. And for a good part of her life, she complained of severe headaches. That coupled, that couple and their two little kids had just moved to my community. Picture-perfect family wanting to make a life for themselves and a better marriage. They came to me six months earlier wanting to make their marriage better. I counseled them. She had, became, she had become a confirmed member of the church. I believe it was on Palm Sunday. That was a celebration. And that's the Sunday before Easter. And I remember one week later on Easter Sunday having to announce to the congregation that she had died. It was the saddest Easter. Sin had infected their marriage, and now I had to deal with the effects of sin. And sickness had infected her brain, and I had to deal with it, and it was catastrophic. These last few weeks and months, same thing. People that I've known for a long time, sick and dying. So the subject today, I need you to know that I don't come at it from a philosophical or theological perspective only. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And I'm a sinner. And the effects of sin are painfully real to me. And not just in my own life, but in the lives of my members. I bear your burdens, and sometimes they are oh so heavy. I hate sin. I hate what it does to people's health, to their relationships, to the environment, to attitudes, to families. And so I want to talk to you about the fall into sin and the day that human history was forever changed and the day that you and I need to fully understand to make sense of anything. And we'll do so by starting with the question, where did sin originate? And we find that in Genesis chapter 3. You already know the story of Adam and Eve, I believe. But here are the consequences. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
Now their relationship with God is affected because of sin. They became foolish. When you sin, you become foolish. Hiding from God? Hiding from God as if God can't see behind a tree? Seriously? They hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to... Whom did he call to? I want you to see this, men. He didn't call to her, no. Did he call to them? No. He called to the man. Why? Because the man is responsible. I mean, that's what it means to be the head of the family. It means that you take moral responsibility. Even if you don't think it's your fault, Because God holds you responsible for the well-being of your family. And we as a church hold men responsible. It doesn't mean that women have no responsibility. But it means that if the man is not walking with God and loving his wife and serving his family, we start with the man because he is the first problem. It was God who told the man not to eat from the tree. So God starts with the man and he calls out to the man and said to him where are you oh is that ever a great question every man should wake up every day look in the mirror and ask where am i where am i in my relationship with god in my relationship with the people god has placed in my life and he answered adam does i You'll notice he's not speaking we. They're Adam and Eve, but they're no longer a we. It's a couple of eyes, no longer one, but two. That's what sin does to a relationship, a marriage. I did this, they did that. I do this, they do that. It's not we. You're not allies anymore. We are often enemies even in our closest relationships because of sin. And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. Lots of I talk. He said, God does, who told you that you were naked? Man, I love God. He gets right to the point. He doesn't have lengthy discussion. He doesn't go down rabbit trails. Here's God's question, nice and simple. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you, didn't give any suggestions, not to eat from? Bottom line, did you do what I told you not to do? The man said, what did the man say? The woman. The woman. He doesn't start with, yes, God, I sinned. He's immediately shifting the blame over to the woman. Let me ask you, have you ever shifted the blame? The woman whom you put here with me, there's more than a subtle inference there. You made the woman. She's the source of all my trouble. She's responsible, and to some degree, God, you are as well. I'm a victim. I think I should get protected class status. I think I should get some sort of tax deduction, maybe free counseling. You're really complicated my life, God, and I, 
feel that I have some benefits coming my way. She gave me fruit from the tree. I'm a total victim here, and I ate it. Shame on you, Adam. Shifting the blame. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? You notice the woman is equally responsible. She's not off the hook. She's an image bearer of God just as much as Adam. The woman said, The serpent did it. The devil made me do it. She doesn't blame her husband. How many women never blame their husband? They blame his boss. They blame his dad. They blame his family of origins, his upbringing, maybe even his pastor or the friends he hangs out with. So many women have a hard time really being honest about their husband. But ladies, let me tell you this. You were made to be a helper and a supporter. You're not helping at all if you can't see the obvious. Well, I don't want to respect him. You don't need to disrespect him, but you also don't need to disrespect God and fail to speak honestly about sin. The Lord God said to the serpent, now here's the judgment, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed or offspring and hers. Notice it's singular, not plural. This is called the first gospel. Good news. God preaches it. He says, there will be separation between you and the serpent from the offspring of the woman. And it's a foreshadow of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Everywhere in scripture, children always come from the father. Here, no father is mentioned, just the mother. And that through you, Eve, will eventually come a man and he will do war with Satan. And Satan will harm him, but he will come as the great dragon slayer, as Revelation puts it, and he will defeat the dragon. It's the promise of the coming of Jesus. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And how does God deal with the first sin? It's absolutely amazing. How would you respond? I mean, if you made the earth and you created the man and the woman and you brought them together for love and marriage, if you set the Garden of Eden up as the perfect home for them, if you spoke to them graciously, if you walked with them in the cool of the garden, if you bestowed on them your image and likeness, gave them a thousand trees to eat from, if you let them do anything they wanted, save one thing, and then they did it, what would you do? Here's what God does in Genesis 3. He pursues them. He actually comes for them. And this is the essence of our theology. God pursues us. This is a good, good father. No one is seeking God. God is seeking us. A good father pursues his children, never sitting back, but always involved in the life of his children. Adam and Eve weren't wandering around the garden. Where is God? God, where have you gone? God's not lost. They are. They don't need to go looking for God. He comes looking for them. Our God is a God who pursues his enemies to make them his friends. 
He comes looking for them. He speaks to them and he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for them and pay the price for their sin so that they may live forever in paradise with him. And then he sends his Holy Spirit with the message of the good news to call all people to himself. Come, your sins are forgiven. And he gathers them into his church to await his coming and bring them into paradise. Because of sin, there is total depravity. Everything is messed up. Everything is tainted. Everything is not right. But because of God's total love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have full and complete redemption. This is what our good, good Father does for us. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about this good, good Father some more, who keeps his promise. And we may learn what it takes to be a father like God is to us. Amen.